Lord, we confess that we are not very good shepherds to ourselves. We confess that in this room, we are tired pastors and tired teachers and tired administrators of schools and tired business owners and employees. We are very tired students. We are tired medical professionals and we are tired parents. We are tired sons and daughters. We are tired people. And so we come to you, our good shepherd. And we ask that you would do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. What all of our Netflix watching and all of our shopping and all of our Facebook scrolling and all of our running and bicycling and all of our hobbying cannot provide for ourselves. We ask you to provide what we cannot work ourselves into, which is a deep rest for our souls. And this is the grace that we come to you for tonight. Would you lead us beside quiet places? Would you show us the good places that feed not only our bodies but also our souls? And when we need to lay down, would you just make us do it? As we hear from you tonight, Lord, would we hear your words for your people? And would they be good news to tired people? And we ask this in the name and the spirit of our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. And I've got some friends who have Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, I want to lend you a Bible. You can just raise your hand and somebody will give you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible or you don't own this version right here, if you don't own this version, then you can just keep it. It's yours. It's a gift uh, from us to you. But I'm going to read two texts that come out of the Torah, uh, the Jewish, the first, the first uh, five books of the Jewish Bible. The first one, Exodus chapter 20, we're going to start at verse 8, and then Deuteronomy chapter 5, we will start at verse 12. They sound, they're going to sound very similar, but you'll notice the nuances as we go through these together. Here at our church, we uh, invite one another to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. So I invite you to stand in this honor, and I invite you to hear the Word of the Lord for us this evening. Remember uh, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy 
Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting with verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkey and other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. You, you may be seated. So we love busy Busy makes us feel important, and the reason it makes us feel so important is because in our world, results matter. In fact, in our lives, getting results may be the very most important thing. It's a good thing, too, because life here on 8th Street has already been pretty busy. Anybody else in this room feel like life right now is just a blur? You know, Easter was supposed to change this. But really, after we celebrated on that first Easter Sunday, you got to wonder, has Easter actually happened? Because it doesn't really feel much like Easter right now. Still feels like the same race we're in. Now we have newness, we have a new place, and now we have new responsibilities. From the very moment that we're born, we're urged to move forward. Each, each, each achievement is a, is a sign to demonstrate our potential to the world. And our potential determines whether or not we will be productive. Grades, baskets made, home runs in little leagues. Then scholarships, good scores, a well-played piece on the violin, eventually acceptance into a grad school, passing an exam, getting the job, making the deal, securing the sale, opening the 401k, then starting the college fund so it can go again and again. These are the phrases we use. Second place is the first loser. Uh, Practice makes perfect. We use this phrase, or at least we've heard it, do or do not, there is no try. We have to take matters into our own hands. We have to take charge of our own destiny. How else will we enjoy the fruits of our labor? How else will we make our mark in history? In what other way can we establish some kind of semblance of safety and security? How else do we get done everything that needs to be done in our lives? How can our family members or our children get ahead if we do not continue to press forward? For crying out loud, People are depending on us. I I remember one college student that was on the very brink of losing it say to me, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Busy is our salvation. Busy helps us to produce, and the right kind of production leads to security. It secures our family. It secures our homes. It secures our church. Barbara Brown Taylor says this, We live in a can-do culture where the ability to do many things at a high speed is not only an, an adaptive trait, but it is, the, it is the mark of a successful human being. Successful people are busy people. 
Effective people are busy people. Religious people are busy people. Busy is the way of life. This is killing us. And this is where we enter this text. Maybe the most important and the most ignored commandment is number four. It's the centerpiece of all of the other commandments. Sabbath observation or Sabbath remembrance is the bridge that hold the first three commandments, which are about loving God, with the second part of, of the Ten Commandments, loving your neighbor. And Christians don't observe the Sabbath usually because they think of it as legalistic, something Jesus set us free from. But this is a command. It's, it's a command. And it's given by the Hebrew God Yahweh to a people that had a particularly unpleasant story. And the essence of the command was this. Take time. A whole day. To suspend what you're doing for God's purpose. Don't don't feel like you have to produce anymore. There's no more creating on this day. Stop trying to control everything. We call this day the Sabbath. The Sabbath, or Shabbat, is, is a time to stop. It's a time to cease. It's a time to rest. But, but it, it's so much more than that. It's a day by which we are made complete. And Shabbat, the Sabbath, is more than just a nap on Sunday afternoon, although it could include that. And it's more than not just playing sports or playing cards on the Lord's Day, although it could be that as well. The idea of Sabbath is that there is this suspension of everything in in creation. The cosmos stands still for 24 hours. Sabbath is a break in real time with the expectation that all God wants for us will be realized. According to my local Jewish expert, David Rosen, the Jews believed that Shabbat had messianic implications. When the Messiah comes, they thought, the fullness of the Sabbath, the fullness of Shabbat, the harmony of God will be known. Lauren Winter says this, that Shabbat is, is like nothing else. Time as we know it does not exist for 24 hours, and the worries of the week will soon fall away. Think about your life. Can you really imagine a day like this? Now, on Shabbat, or the Sabbath, the Jewish people would light two candles. We did that today. I can't see them very well. But both are a reminder for, God, for God's people to live like God. Each candle represents the two commandments that you find in the Torah, the two that we read today. The first candle is called the rest candle, reminding us on the seventh day that after creation, God rested, and we read about this. And the second candle is called the freedom candle. We who are made in the image of God are like God, and we are free. We read that in Deuteronomy 5. Now, the first candle represents the rest that comes in God's command, and it comes to the people. As Moses was given the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, the message was clear. Human beings are made in the image of God. God crafted with care and meticulous intent the human person, and God saw that this human person 
was very good. In fact, so good that God put in each person the divine imprint. Imago Dei. You are made in the image of God. God, the creator of all things, the mastermind behind all of creation, the artist, the maker, the great producer, looked at creation, at rosebuds and red-kneed tarantulas, and he said, this, my friends, is good. And then he made human beings, homo sapiens, beings with the cognitive capacity for free thinking, and he made them in God's image, and then he said they were very good. Man, God can get a lot done. But then, God stops. God stops his work on the seventh day. God Sabbathed. God rested. And unlike us, God has got it all together. And yet, God rested. God took a full day off. As God works, so we work. As God rested, so we keep on working. Like slaves, hard, we work to the bone. Pastors and parishioners alike are guilty of this. Maybe we cannot cram one more thing into our schedule. Maybe there's a reason why we're dying of heart disease so frequently. Maybe there is a correlation between ignoring this command and our health care prices skyrocketing. Our anxieties and our restlessness and our worry demonstrates to us that maybe we just can't do more than God. You know, your efforts to produce, a command has been given. Lay them down. Take a day. Give it a rest. Maybe this command to us is a gift. On Shabbat, the Jewish people would light also this second candle, this candle of freedom. And in the Ten Commandments, uh, you would find that there are these two different places in the Bible. You can read about them in the Exodus passage, and you can read about them in the Deuteronomy passage. The first time it was given to the children on Mount Sinai, and it's there where Moses talks with God, and they are commanded to observe the Sabbath as a way to rest. But the second one is found in the Deuteronomy passage, and it has this unique kind of twist. The passage doesn't say rest, and it doesn't refer to the creation narrative. Instead, the message here in Deuteronomy is rooted in the Exodus story. And this was a commandment given to them 40 years later after after Mount Sinai when they were on the cusp of doing something amazing. They had been wandering through a desert, and now they're ready to enter into their new home, much like what has happened to us. Both passages start off nearly the same, but you'll notice that the Deuteronomy passage has a slight change. It says, I want you to remember. Now, the foundational story of the foundational event in the Jewish story is that of the Exodus. And and the authority, the self-proclaimed God in the Exodus is known as Pharaoh, who ruled with an iron fist and his demands were raining down from on high. He was involved in massive building campaigns that were put into place. He had a huge huge worldwide trade in place and every citizen in the country served to strengthen his economic system. 
And as Pharaoh stood at the top of this system, media outlets were bent on the propaganda promising that surrender to Pharaoh and his economic plan would ensure safety and security. Prosperity was even promised. And not only would they be able to establish a global position of authority, but they would be able to capitalize on this in such a way that even the stars would bow to their commands. In essence, Pharaoh would establish authority here, and even he promised out there. Sounded like a great plan, but the small print called for sacrifice that would lead to sorrow beyond their wildest imagination. Now, Pharaoh's sophisticated plan was this political machine that was in order to, to ensure that he could remain in power and he needed to produce results. So major profit margins were, were demanded and reported. And in order for his political machine to run, he needed a vast and complex media system that serviced the nation with all of the latest news and all of the latest projections. Ancient talking heads gave daily reports regarding the stock prices and production and the national GDP. Ancient AM radio station DJs talked about the shrinking unemployment rates to create fear in the people. And people turned in as, tuned in as they rode their camels to work every morning. And they caught the news before they went to bed at night. And the young began to embrace this propaganda. They saw, saw no harm in, in the economic and political curriculum that was taught in the ancient schools. Especially if they could work it to their advantage. An upwardly mobile educational system called the young Egyptians to place their confidence in this pharaoh and the system that he put in place. And by buying into his program, they believed it would set them up for life. Safety and security was promised. Individuals saw the importance of caring for their own and blind, they were blinded to see how a system like this might impact their neighbors. The system was so appealing and so effective that young Egyptians served in a variety of capacities, from state-run employees to land development projects. There were jobs to be had, and in order for them to hold, in order for him to hold all of this together, Pharaoh gave leadership to an advanced and violent military system that protected the interests of Egypt and Egypt only and defended their nationalistic and economic pride. The theme was this, produce, create, design, build, distribute, export, establish, secure, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It was Josh Lehman from the West Wing on steroids. For a very few at the top, the very wealthy, they continued to get wealthier, and the system of production was showing incredible results. Business had never been better, but the prosperity came on the backs of those that had, that had had to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They could never get a break. They were slaves to the gods of production. They were being driven to death. It was an economic and a political system that was built by manipulating the ignorant and held up on the backs of slaves. And in order to keep the profit margins high, the machines could not be 
turned off. And the production of these goods, bricks back in the day in this case, held together this whole economic system, depended on slave labor, and they had a name. The Hebrew children. This God, Pharaoh, was a God who created, yes. But you know what this God never did? This God, Pharaoh, never said anything was good enough. Even Pharaoh, at the top, in his paranoia, he never rested. He always produced. Individualism, nationalism, consumerism, the three points of Pharaoh's pyramid scheme. This, this week I talked, to, uh, I talked to my class at Southern Nazarene University about this. And there in the room sat slaves. Slaves to the system. They were exhausted. For years, they've been uh, pushed to the brink of production. Do your homework. Be your best. Study for the ACT. Colleges want extracurricular activities on the resume. Get into a good school. Make good grades. Embrace the debt. Take the GRE. Secure a high-paying job. Don't let up. You can sleep when you're dead. And one woman burst into tears. She's a nursing major, and she said, if I don't keep going, someone might die. She was was implying that she had the grave responsibility of knowing her stuff. Lives were in her hands, and she had to hold the whole thing. Produce, produce, produce. She did not realize that if she didn't rest, she would be one who would die. Pharaoh rules the system that she is slave to. The gods of Egypt will kill you. Our teachers understand this. This was the cry of the walkout over the last few weeks. We cannot do it all any longer. We are overworked. We are tired. We're broke. We can't be the social worker, police officer, politician, counselor, doctor, bouncer, scapegoat, parent, or slave any longer. We will not do things this way anymore. We will not engage in anti-human practices. We will not worship anti-human gods. And the people in this text who have left this system by the hand of a good God have been given this command. Rest. Rest from the, the obligation to produce They're given this invitation, remember. And the reason that they're given the invitation to remember is because, friends, we are prone to amnesia. We forget that we're no longer slaves. And and there is a day that has been given to us that we might be able to observe and remember. And this day is called the Sabbath. It is an escape. It is the resistance of the powers of evil that trap us in slavery. I love how John Mark Comer describes it. He says, at Sinai, the Sabbath was an art form. It was about tapping into the rhythms of creation, rest. In Deuteronomy, the Sabbath is an act of defiance against Pharaoh and his slave drivers. At Sinai, it's a way of saying yes to God and his world. In Deuteronomy, it's a way of saying no to Egypt and its system. At Sinai, it's an invitation to join God in God's delight. In Deuteronomy, it's a warning to stay away from the Egyptians' way of life. 
This God, Yahweh, hears the cries of these people, and he has compassion. And unlike Pharaoh, who never thought they were good enough, this God saw them, and he loved them, and he said, You, my children, are very good. I think this is amazing how God leads them out of the system of oppression. And then the first thing he does is give them this this command. Stop trying to produce. Take a break. Stop trying to control. Cease interfering. Do things that remind you that this is indeed God's world. The command is split in two halves. You have these, the command is split into two halves. You have these shall commands and then you have these shall not commands. One day a week, you shall not work. You shall not create. You shall not produce. You shall not carry the weight of the world on your shoulders any longer. You shall not think it all depends on you. And then you shall rest. You shall be with friends. You shall enjoy. You shall walk slow. You shall celebrate. You shall have a good time. You shall throw a party, have a feast, sing a hymn, dress your best, read something for pleasure, eat something fatty, have sex. You shall do these things. Do something, my friends, that make you feel alive. Sabbath is this great command that is given to God's people that this emancipating God calls for a a regime change. Sabbath sounds a lot like Easter. The way of the risen Christ, in a very practical way, we have this command built into our week. It's a day when the Messiah, Jesus, and all that he wants to do for you, give you rest and freedom. He does. Jesus is the Shabbat. He is both candles burning His burden is light. His yoke is easy. He is the holy day. And we've been given a holy day. So treat it as such. Your God deserves it. You deserve it. You were once slaves, but you're not slaves anymore. Busy is the way of life. Sabbath is the way of Jesus The Lord, your God, has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. On November 27th, on an icy night, after one of the most holy days of the year, Black Friday, we decided to plant a church. And the experts said, never start your church near Thanksgiving But it was the first Sunday in the season of Advent, the season of anticipation and new beginnings. And we said that we were going to be a church that observed time differently. You heard me say already that together we sang. And together we prayed. And together we told stories. And together we talked about a God that didn't want to just make the world better, but we wanted to be a part of a work of God whereby this God made things new. Friends, now we're in this wonderful home. And I will confess to you that I have felt the pressure to produce. We got things to do. 
what do we do with all these children running around? This place is packed and it's hot. What do we do about multiple services? What ministries do we need? How are we going to keep the lights on? How are we going to keep people's needs met? Uh, The production quotient has actually gone up. It hasn't felt like the finish line in getting here. It feels like it's the start line. Until I heard this gracious command, you shall Sabbath. So as a church, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the Easter season, the rest of Easter, and we are simply going to Sabbath. During the season, we're going to let God do what God wants to do, and we shall not, we shall not produce something new. We will not create. During the season, we are not going to be bowing to the gods of production, we, we, and we're going to remember that we were once slaves to an oppressive scheme, and Christ, our Messiah, has entered into our world and given us a messianic hope, and now we, have been, now we are realizing this, and we are living into it. We don't, in fact, know what our ministries are going to be. We don't, in fact, know what we're going to do when the sanctuary gets full. We don't, in fact, have all of our curriculum down. Pentecost, the season of mission and the season season of living into the activity of God, is coming soon, and it will be here soon enough. But today, in this season, we're going to observe this time that God has given us. So as the people came out of the desert into their new home, the first thing they were commanded was Sabbath. Sabbath is shalom built into real time, built into the week. And Jesus gave us a gift now that we are in our new home. He says, I want you to rest. Embrace the rest and embrace the freedom. Friends, this is what I've heard from him. I've got this. So at this table, we stand before God, and we receive all of God's blessing, and together we receive the gift of life if we want to receive it, and what is complete in the Sabbath, shalom, comes to us as we are the inclusive, embracing community that includes none and follows the rhythms of this God. So Jesus called his disciples, his friends around this table, and he offered them his friendship and his forgiveness. He offered them his rest and his freedom. And at dinner, Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you and whenever you eat it, I want you to remember me. And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he held it up and he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. And whenever you drink of it, I want you to do so in affectionate remembrance of me. My friends, this is Jesus's table and all who are open to this good care and this good work of God in Jesus are welcome to this table. Coming to this table is a declaration that Christ has died Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. We want no barriers, so our bread is gluten-free and our wine is non-alcoholic. But I want you to come down, if you come, with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which is good and that which comes from God. We do not take communion at this church. We receive it because it is a gift. Allow these to serve you. Listen to what they have to say. 
and be grateful. And if for any reason you are unable to come down our aisle, just wave at Justin over here and he will bring the elements to you. Friends, the first commandment as we enter into this new space during this Easter season is Sabbath. Come when you are ready. Thank you.